and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I am your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. And today's episode is a an especially important one to me because we're diving right into my favorite topic on staff picks, unknown horror movies that I think are really good and like 99% of my friends have never even heard of. And this is a perfect one to do for Horror Month. It's a Spanish movie from 1976. Uh, there are about five different titles this movie is known by. But the one that's most formal is called Who Can Kill a Child, which right off the bat, I will agree with you, is the stupidest title for a movie I have ever heard. But don't hold that against the movie. It's really good. We'll get into it into a second. It's just one I've been high on for a couple of years. And my guest on this one, this is fun. I found somebody who actually knows this movie. And it's likely because she is not from the same country as me. She's not from the U.S., and so it's, she stumbled onto this movie when she was a teenager, and she said, oh, I, I like that movie. And so when I announced I was doing Who Can Kill a Child, she's like, hey, I saw that when I was young. Let's talk about it. So I, I was so excited. And it's even more exciting because this is one of my friends going way back to the MySpace days. I think we've known each other for 15 years, and in Mario tradition, we've never spoken before. This is the first time. So I want to welcome you and your wonderful accent to the show. Welcome, Lizzie Swanson. Oh, hello. Thank you for having me. Now, first off, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Where are you from and what is that accent? Oh, I'm originally from Cornwall, but I've lived in America since the late 90s. Now, now where in America? Uh, Tennessee. The, the Bible Belt. And I'm sure you fit right in with the Cornish accent. Oh, 100%. I get a lot of, you ain't from here, are you? No, what gave it away? Is it the striking red hair, the fact I'm whiter than a ghost, or maybe when I open my mouth? <laughs> oh, this is going to be fun. I use verbs and adverbs, <laughs> adjectives. I can string a sentence together occasionally. Well, that remains to be seen now that the podcast has started. <laughs> No, I just, I'm just kidding. Lizzie is a teacher, and she's been one of my uh, online friends for many years. Kind of give people your history, why you know this movie, how this episode came about, because I'm fascinated to know your backstory with this movie that nobody's ever heard of. Um, I've always liked horror movies, and so when there'd be like a new video, Nasty, or something, you know, that's you know ultra scary, and so they're in like the, the special boxes in the video store, Um when I was a teenager, I'd always convince my, my aunt Amy to get the, the most horrific stuff she could get. And, you know, of course, that's the, the, the epitome of all childhood, you know, begging to get the nastiest videos ever. But with um, Who Can Kill a Child, um, it was in the Spanish language section for international foreign language. And yo hablo espanol, so... Uh, seeing Quien Puede um, Matar Un Niño, I was like, oh, it says to kill a child. I was like, let's watch this. So do you know much about the backstory of this movie? Because I've been reading up on it, and there doesn't seem to be a whole lot out there. Do you know kind of how it came about or its reception? Actually, I, I, I do know how the film came about. Um, the director, uh, Narcisco Ibanez Cerrador, and um, the guy who wrote the story called El Juego, um, means to play the game. Um, they were talking one night and 
the author, Planes, was said, you know, hey, this is the, what I'm going to write. And then Serador was like, oh, that sounds really great, but I'm going to change this and I'm going to change that. And within a couple of weeks, he's like, here's my film. <laughs> so was it a hit? Like, was it well known and for its era? I know nothing about this movie, really. Uh, at the time, it was not well received because of the subject matter. Uh, they edited out the Mondo Macabre opening, the, the screen reel beginning for a lot of distribution. And I mean, it was picked up by um, AIP, American International Pictures. And they did a lot of low budget horror, but Spanish horror of the 70s is so different from like Italian horror and of course, you know, British horror and then, you know, American horror of the same time period. They're all so like color different, you know, how they, you know, um, bring the ladies in, whether they're su highly suggestive or, you know, the there's there's just so many different styles of horror. But Spanish horror of the 70s was not really known because it was more Italian, British or American. So with the subject matter, it just wasn't well received because people were wanting a monster. They were wanting, you know, something ghoulish, something, you know, sensational, not to be children. <laughs> yeah, I suppose we better fill in our listeners on what this movie's actually about. Because, again, I'm I'm anticipating nobody listening to this has heard this, has seen this movie yet. And, and like, mentally, I'm coming at this as like, everybody knows this film, come on. But they don't. Here, remember, you're in America now. We're ignorant here. We don't know things. Sorry. Yes, you're right. Yes. <laughs> this movie, it's called, again, it's called Who Can Kill a Child? And it's essentially, if you've ever seen Children of the Corn, it's that, but on an island in Spain where just a bunch of kids go berserk and start killing all the adults. And it's so much better than Children of the Corn. It really almost angers me that that one's so well-known and this one is not. Because you put them next to each other, this one is head and shoulders better than Children of the Corn. Oh, yeah. And there's so many um, evil, demonic, child, you know, children films, child films. You know, there's like The Bad Seed and, of course, Children of the Corn, Village of the Damned. But, you know, with those, even zombie children in many a horror movie. But with this... There's no explanation as to what brings it about. They just are rebelling against what happens to them as, as children. Yeah. They're just dicks, basically. Pretty much. Pretty <laughs> much, yeah. They're, yeah. I mean, you, what, you, you said it. They're just children. <laughs> yes. It's a synonym. Dick is implied. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hey, you're never really a parent unless you flipped off your child behind their back. Exactly. See, this is why I wanted you on the show. That's the attitude I wanted. <laughs> so, yeah, this is a movie about little evil children that go on the rampage and start killing adults. And it's right there in that 70s sweet spot when you have all these creepy little kid movies. Uh, the Omen, a big one. There's one I'm doing later on Staff Picks in a couple weeks called The Other, which is another one of that genre. But yeah, this is this is such a great movie. You have to seek it out. Just ignore the stupid title. Ignore the fact that it's in Spanish and it's subtitled. Ignore. We'll talk about another part of the movie that I think you should ignore. But it's the version I have is English audio. Well, yeah, you have English or yeah, it's either one. But it is a subtitled movie partially. Your language skills and translate through your head. Come on, you can do it. <laughs> 
Yeah, but again, just uh, it's a great slow burn movie. Just there's only two characters in the whole movie, really, and it's just a slow burn as they realize how screwed they are on this creepy island. And I could not, I could not love it more. I could, I, I rate this movie up there just about any slow burn creepy horror movie the '70s I can think of. If you if you think of the time period, because I have actually broken it down um, from when they leave the mainland. Has a four-hour cruise on the boat to when they get to Alamanzor. Um, then it's you know mid midday. So then you know then it's there's a part where they're driving to the shack, and then there's the clock building, and by the whole thing it's only about eight twenty in the evening, in on one day after they initially get to the island. So it it's not really as slow as you want to think it is mm-hmm. because. The getting to the problem is slow, but once the action starts to happen, it just, you know, snowballs very quickly to the end. And you're like, wow, how did we do that? Yeah, okay. That, yeah, that's a good point. It's a slow burn, but it does become intense. And I am warning people, this movie's a little nastier than you're expecting from a horror movie. You're going to get lots of dead kids in this movie, and they're not shy about it either. Mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> no. I'm really looking forward to talking about some of the more horrific scenes here. Mm, the piñata. The piñata. Well, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'll, I'll, I'll tip off our listeners. This movie has one of the coolest twists I have ever seen in a horror movie right towards the end. And uh, do you know what? I, I don't tip it off. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Is it the, you know, the Night of the Living Dead moment? Yeah, basically. It's, yeah. Well, okay, we'll get to the baby. Oh, oh, yes. Okay, go on. <laughs> yes, yes. Again, I am imploring my listeners, seek this movie out. If you are a horror fan at all, you will not regret it. This is such a cool movie. Again, it's low budget. It's shot on older film stock. It kind of looks like a home movie, like a snuff film almost. It's it's just creepy. Um, the coloring, yes. It is such a beautifully 70s film in that, you know, the way the, the, the clothes and the children, just everything, it's it gives you memories if you've never, if you have memories of the seventies, which I don't because I'm a, a young child, but um, it, it's so wholesome in the coloring, the daylight, the clothing, the, the, the way the kids are wholesome. They're not, they're not depicted as evil. <laughs> Again, they're just dicks. They're smiling and killing you. And giggling, the giggling. Yes. Again, I cannot again overstate how creepy it is. These little giggling evil kids that will just stab you and laugh and smile in your face. It's a, such a memorable movie. And again, like I said, it's it's my mission. That's why I was put on Earth to talk about movies like this that nobody knows. And and, and to add with the, the, the giggling is the music. Mm-hmm. That lullaby that kids hum is, is right up there with me with like the Rosemary's Baby lullaby music. You know, it just sticks with you, and you'll hear it afterwards. You'll be humming it to your own children, stroking their hair, going, don't don't make mommy mad. I think it's more like, don't make the child mad. 100%, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, again, this is just a nasty little movie, Children of the Corn times about 10. And let's give a little backstory here. It came to the U.S., they heavily censored it. They cut out a lot of the violence and stuff, and then they renamed it. So in the the U.S., it was known as Island of the Damned, kind of uh, playing on the Village of the Damned, because the same basic premise. I like Island of the Damned much more. I wish they would have kept that. 
In in um, in England, it was um, Death is Child's Play. It was a two for film. It came with another film. Wait, I actually wrote, I actually wrote this down. There were five different titles this movie was known as. There's Who Can Kill a Child, Would You Kill a Child, Death is Child's Play, Island of the Damned, and then Trapped. Yes, yes, you can buy stills currently on eBay that say Trapped, and it has you know the two main actors with like you know with them and the kids. Uh, yeah, I was looking at that recently. I was like, oh, isn't that cute? It's, you know, you know, it's Tom and Evie with the children yeah. out of context. <laughs> so there's some dark web memorabilia market for a movie like this, known only as its fifth most popular title. Yeah. Trapped. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Lizzie, are you ready to walk through the plot of this movie and paint a picture in the heads of my listeners who I know have never seen it before? Yes, yes. All right. I'm, I'm very excited about this because this is such a, a simple movie, for lack of a better term. There's only two characters, and this plot could not be more simple. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's a little less challenging than explaining, like, uh, As Above, So Below or uh, <laughs> the, the Cabin in the Woods. We bit, we bit, yeah. <laughs> okay, so we got to talk about this, Lizzie. The start of this movie, the newsreel footage. Um. Explain to people what this is, because I will flat out admit, I could not hate the start of this movie anymore. Well, you and the director, actually, he didn't want it at the beginning of the film. <laughs> Good. I can't imagine who would want it. He actually wanted it at the end to be, you know, the final, you know, the denouement, as, you know, to bring it all together, the reason why. But at the opening of the film, you have um, black and white footage, um, newsreel style with, of, it starts with like the SS you know, the Nazis in Auschwitz, and then it moves to the Civil War in India and Pakistan, and then the Korean War and Vietnam and Napalm and um, the Civil War in Nigeria, the drought in Africa. And through each, you know, bit of film they show us, they have um, statistics across the bottom saying how many people died, adults, and then how many children died. So they're building upon, you know, so many children have died because of adults and because of adults' problems. Yeah, and that's the basic premise of this movie, that adults have done so many horrific things over the years. The kids have finally risen up and they're striking back against the adults. Exactly. Yeah. However, the execution it really just feels like it gives the director or the film an eight-minute excuse to show as many dead bodies and concentration camp footage as possible just to piss you off. And, and not just that, it, it, it gives you guilt. And it, a lot of it is, you know, very, you want to shy away from especially the, the starving drought children in Africa because it is, they're, they're alive versus, you know, images of dead children. Those are live children on film who are suffering and that always bothers me about, you know, like National Geographic people or foreign reporters. It's like, oh, look, a starving child. Let's film it instead of, oh, look, a starving child. Here's a cup of noodles. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, stop filming the atrocities and maybe try to fix it instead of just like, oh, look, the bad stuff's happening. Let's just keep standing here as spectators. I think you're wandering right into a Sam Kinison stand-up routine. He made fun of that. <laughs> yeah. The, the kid doesn't look starving. No one's going to give money. Don't feed him yet. Film him first. 
yes, yes, more tears, more tears, more tears, <laughs> and for 25 cents a day. Yeah. Then the kid gets a sandwich. Yes. <laughs> After Sam's picked out all the good meats. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, like I was saying, the start of this movie is so awkward because, again, that's exactly how you want your movie to start with concentration camp footage of as many dead bodies as possible. Again... I would recommend anybody, fast forward, it's exactly eight minutes of death footage that has nothing to do with the rest of the movie, that they could have just put in a voiceover and it would have been just as effective, but it's so gratuitous it annoys me every time. But um, the Americans, when they first saw this, they didn't get the black and white footage. They went straight to the film. Well, see, there you go. We have the best stuff in America. (laughs) You had the shorter, you had the edit, getting rid of the guilt. Okay, yeah, but that's the big elephant in the room with this movie, this stock footage of dead children, as many as they can throw on the screen at you for eight minutes, like Vietnamese war kids burned up by napalm. I'm like, do we really need to see that for eight minutes? But they do it. So anyway, just fast forward through that and and do the American cut, as it were. (laughs) All right, but now the movie gets awesome. It segues because it starts because you go from the black and white kid film and then you, it cuts to black and white of the kids on the beach in Spain. And then, like the Wizard of Oz, it becomes colorized. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank you, Glinda. That was a good, uh, <laughs> good read. But yeah, this, this movie is exactly like the Wizard of Oz. Oh, 100%. <laughs> Mostly the, uh, the, the munchkin hanging himself scene in the background. Yes. Okay, so we're in a we're in a, a small Spanish seaside villa here. Villa, sorry. Uh, give us point, paint us a picture. Where are we here in this movie? Um, at the beginning, it's just like Jaws, where everybody's at the beaches and happy families. Um, but then a body washes ashore, and the kids poking at it, and. It's a, you know, they, they, the ambulance comes and they take the body away and the, the, the paramedics are staring at the body and like, oh, she's got strange cuts on her, you know, from the waist down. <laughs> yeah, they, they kind of gloss over that part. They, yeah, this woman has been savagely mutilated. There's knife cuts all over her. Her throat has been cut. And the paramedics are like, who would have done this to a woman like a tourist? Like, whoever did this was sick in the head. And this is a little hint of what we're going to see later. And then we, um, we then come to, there's a big festival going on in the town of Ben Nevis. And there's like, you know, dragon fireworks and, you know, the streets are completely flooded. And this is when we first get our first view of the, the main protagonists, Tom and Evelyn. Because they get off a bus. Now, how do you pronounce the name? Because I know in the English dubbed version, they say Benavis, which I know is not the way it's pronounced. I'm sure it's uh, Benavis. 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 Or Benavi. Benavi. But I always thought it was funny because there's a mountain in Scotland called Ben Nevis. And so the first time I heard it, I was like, why are they in Scotland? Why would they go there for holidays? Are the are the kids in Benavis little assholes too? Yes. <laughs> no, not really. Um, when when the film starts out, everything is completely normal. It's two English people on holiday in Spain, and you know, regular town folk. The hotels are all booked up, and the children are normal. 
Yeah, it's a very benign beginning to a movie. Just a British couple showing up here in this little village, and they're on vacation. They have kids at home. They left the kids, just Tom and Evelyn. And, and she's pregnant. That's the other important thing. Oh, yes. She is very pregnant. <laughs> and she kind of looks like Linda McCartney. Here's something that you won't be able to unsee after this. She has a mere fairness to me, but she looks like Paul Bettany if he was a lady. No, 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 really. Just like Google the picture of Prunella Ransom and then Paul Bettany side by side. It's it's him. You'll never be able to see it now. <laughs> well, we have a new conspiracy theory on staff picks. Thank you. Go, Paul Bettany. <laughs> yeah. Again, there's only two characters in the movie, the Tom and Evelyn. And uh, yeah, she looks like Paul Bettany with a wig on the dude tom here i will say something you can't unsee the actor playing tom cannot run like a human being he runs like a scarecrow <laughs> lewis feander uh well uh, he's also really he lewis feander was on a doctor who episode and he poorly ran on that episode as well <laughs> that's his trademark poor running form possibly yes <laughs> So, so we have an actress who's Paul Bettany, and we have an actor with spina bifida, basically. It's, it's a very very awkward couple. But anyway, yeah, they're the couple, and they were the ones that will be subjected to the horror in the rest of this movie. But for now, they're just in Benevis, or whatever it's pronounced. And uh, they're going through their festival, and they're looking for hotel reservations. But they ev eventually tell their the guy at the hotel, what their final destination is going to be. What is this little island they want to go to right off the coast? Alamantora. Um, it's an island that the husband, Tom, went to 12 years prior when he was a child. And so he wants to recapture the magic of his holiday as a child with his wife, who's about to have their third child. Now, is this a real place, this Almanthora? No, no, no. Um, the filming of the whole movie is five places. Um, Benaví is taken from parts of Madrid, um, and then Alamantora, the island, is um, four. It's three, three or four other places themselves. Uh, where, 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 where? Um, the docks are Menorca, uh, and the town itself is um, near Toledo, and also Sitges is another place there. They used three places for the island, and parts of Madrid for Benaví. Okay. I have never been to Spain, so I will take your word for all of those places. Gotcha. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Although I will say, a couple of years ago, we were in Venice in Italy, and, uh, and off Venice, there's these little islands called Murano and Burano. And the second one, Burano, was fairly isolated. And there weren't many people living on it. And when I'm watching this movie, I kept thinking, that, this feels like Burano. If I ever went back there, I would think of this movie and I would, I would be creeped out. Yes. Um, small islands off of any country are very isolated, very, I mean, because Cornwall and the Isles of Scilly um, in England, even like the Outer Hebrides of Scotland, island people have, you know, they don't have the fastest internet, they don't have the cable televisions, you know, they, they don't have the electronic devices. So the island that they're going to being very rural, very rustic, is very commonplace for islands, especially in the 70s. So it's kind of like Tennessee now. 
hundred percent. Yes. Especially in the mountains where I live. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it's, we're going to go to this creepy Island right off of the coast of Spain, but first we got to go through this, you know, Spanish village and there's uh we see kids playing with pinatas and dancing around and laughing, which will become much creepier later when you see a human being being used as a pinata, but for not for now, for now, everything's cool. Yeah. And, and Tom, the husband, he has a moderate use of the Spanish language and his wife, Evelyn, has zero Spanish skills and this comes to play later when like he's having to like translate for her but she she you know quaintly doesn't know what a pinata is when they're in the village and so he has to explain you know and then you know she she doesn't know how to say goodbye and that makes you think of Mr. Bean when he goes to in the Europe movie <laughs> because he keeps you know saying you know gracias to everybody in France and so, like, she says all the wrong things at the right at the wrong at the right times, possibly, but it, her Spanish skills are lacking. So we've already compared this movie to The Wizard of Oz and Mr. Bean. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> okay. Again, for people, if you don't know this movie, you'll you'd, you'd laugh at how inappropriate those uh, comparisons are. <laughs> Okay, so they go through their one night in Benavis, and they tell their porter, you know, we're staying here one night, we're going to Almanthora, this real isolated island, and, and again, people will tell them, oh, that place is really quaint and quiet, you'll love it there, and Tom's like, that's why I want to go, I was there 12 years ago, I want to show my wife, and does anything else really happen in Benavis? Because I know the vast majority of this movie happens in Almanthora on the island. Nothing at all, you know, to, you know, progress the plot happens in Benavis. Except for the fact that when they originally got off the bus, the dude they get directions from is the director. Well, there you go. He's That's what a director does. He gives direction. He directed them. He told them, there's the hotel. Go on your way, British people. <laughs> okay, well, there is a subplot through this movie. And the director tries really hard to make it artsy where, you know, there's all these atrocities visited upon kids in the world and what a horrible world we've given their ki these, our kids. And so as they're getting ready to leave the next day for Almondora, they see things on TV like uh, there's a, what is it, the, uh, there's a war going on, a civil war somewhere, and it talks about all these dead kids. And so we're going to work into the plot here that the kids are just pissed off this world they're living in now. Yes. Um, and, you know, of course, poor, poor Evelyn, she's, you know, scared of the atrocities and she strokes her belly lovingly, you know, oh, what world are we bringing these children into, Tom? You know, you have two kids, you left them at home. <laughs> you don't really care too much about children, lady. You didn't bring them on holiday with you. So you're calling Evelyn out here. I am 100%. It really has bugged me my almost my entire life that I didn't take their other two kids with them to Spain. Well, I don't, I don't know if it would have ended well for the kids, so. Uh, it would have ended beautifully for them. We all know how the movie ends. All right, that's true. Okay, so, okay, so, and again, yeah, just lots of subplots about how, oh, what a terrible world we live in. And, and I forgot there's this little sly moment here. Is right before they get on their boat to Almanzora, the cops have found another dead body. Another one washes up to the shore. Yeah, another Dutch person. They, they make a point to to distinguish that, oh, the last dead body was Dutch, and this one's Dutch, so tourists are being killed. So this movie doesn't like the Dutch. No, shame on them. It's for colonial Africa. That's what they're coming after. <laughs> That's the unspoken subplot of this movie. Yes, it is. 
Okay, yeah, so, again, these horrible things, tourists are getting killed, they're washing up on the shore, the cops don't know what it is, but we will find out soon it's coming from Almanzora, and here we go, so our two protagonists uh, rent a boat, they don't have a guide, the guy Tom wants to do it all himself, and uh, he gets a boat, and they head on out on the four-hour tour to Almanzora. A four-hour cruise. You do realize that, like, any time you go on a cruise longer than three hours, bad things are going to happen, you know, thanks to Gilligan's Island, so. I'm glad you made that joke, because that's the exact one I was going to make, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They go on a four-hour tour. Yes, but nobody brought, you know, coconuts or, you know, ball gowns. Oh, darn it. Okay, so here we go. The entire rest of the movie is going to take place on this little isolated island of Almanzora, which, again, I love the setting for a movie. I love almost every minute of this movie once we get to this point. It's just creepy as all hell. Mm-hmm. The isolation of the island is very similar to those of, say, like um, the haunted house out in the moors. So you have that similarity of, you know, you can't escape once you're on the island. You can't just, you know, run, you know, to the nearest big city because everything you have is just right there. Oh, yeah. And again, because at the 70s, there's no cell phones. There's no way to call for help. Once they get on this island and they realize the horror that's going on here, again, there's nothing they can do. and You can feel it. It's very desperate. Mm-hmm. The music sets the tone once they get to the island because of the, the quietness. And is this where we hear the creepy children chanting you were talking about earlier? Or was that earlier in the movie? Um, Both. It's at the beginning during the black and white film, the footages. And then uh, we will again hear it. The children will start, you know, humming it occasionally before they start giggling. Yeah, you're going to hear a lot of giggling in this movie. And not like Dr. Giggles. Um, This is actually scary because it's children. (laughs) Wow, now you're calling out Dr. Giggles. Love that film. Love it. (laughs) That's the guy from L.A. Law, right? That's Benny? Correct. Yes. Yes. And I will always hear, you know, him being, you know, slightly mentally challenged when I watch Dr. Giggles. (laughs) I believe that's the same guy in Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. The same. 100%. He's he's from from Dark Man. Okay. I'm doing Dark Knight of the Scarecrow in like a week. I I cannot believe we we just found a way to segue into that movie. There you go. Okay, so let's get back to Almanzora. So they land on the island in their little boat that I swear that's the slowest motorboat I have ever seen. No wonder it took four hours. Another something I want to say about their four hour cruise from the mainland to the island. Two English people on a boat, no hats, no sunscreen. They are they would have been bright red lobsters by the time they had gotten there. And she finally says when they get to the island, I wish I'd have brought hats. Really, bitch? Well, like, now you think about it, you should feel crispy and smell like bacon at this point. <laughs> there, there's no umbrellas on the boat with them. It's just straight up sun and the two of them. So you're saying when the kids try to kill them, they're really just doing them a favor. They're beating the skin cancer? 100%. <laughs> The wife is covered in freckles. <laughs> and I should point out, these these characters are not the brightest. Even though the guy says he's basically a doctor, he's a biologist. These are two of the stupider characters I've ever seen in a movie. That that qualification right there is just hilarious how he throws that out there to the Kodak film guy. Uh-huh. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm basically a doctor. I'm a biologist. That's like saying, I'm basically a doctor. I'm an orthodontist. 
<laughs> yes, I've been in a doctor's office. Yeah, let me check your testicles. I know teeth and testicles all at the same time. Come on, come on, let's do it all right now. <laughs> all right, so yeah, the the stupid dude and the stupid wife. Yes, the stupid dude and his stupid wife end up on the island of stupid, and they get what they deserve. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's let's drag it out a little bit, and we're not going to jump right to the end. Okay, so they get to the island, and the first thing you see on the island is a bunch of kids. There's all these shirtless little boys fishing and swimming around. and <laughs> One of the little boys on the docks looks like he could have been an extra on the Bradys. <laughs> he looks like little Bobby Brady. It's like, oh, wholesome. It's a Brady child. And, and the husband's like, oh, what have you been fishing, lad? And he says it to him in English. Boy stares at him. And so he says it like three more times. What have you been fishing? What if you call it? And it's like, I don't speak English, so don't keep talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. See, I think Tom might actually be American. He sounds more American. <laughs> I'm just going to keep saying it over and over again. Maybe I'll get louder. And then the words will just, like osmosis, go into his head. And you'll know what I'm saying. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Okay, I, I will paint a picture here for people. So they get there to the dock, and these kids help pull them into shore and dock on the island. And, again, you see nothing wrong with this at the start. It's just a bunch of kids. But Tom has a very uncomfortable interaction with the first kid, who I should point out, these are not older kids. When I say kids... They have a bunch of, like, 5 through 10-year-olds or maybe 12. They're not a lot of older kids in this movie. No, that was something that um, the director, Serador, actually enjoyed. He said children who weren't trained actors could give more realistic responses to shock and horror. And it was a more, it was a more natural um, reaction that he could get from children than he could from trained actors and adults. Um, the director, Serador, actually didn't want Louis Fiander as the husband, Tom. Who did he want? Um, he wanted Sir Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> Hannibal Lecter could have been in this movie. It was the 70s. So, like, what was that magic? Was someone with him and the puppet? The ventriloquist doll? Yeah, yeah. So, that era. Yeah, so, like, that era, Anthony Hopkins. Okay, yeah, but back to these kids. That's the big standout thing for me in this movie is these creepy little kids that will just stare at you and not talk. And that's what these kids will do the entire rest of the movie. And again, like Lizzie said, these are little Bobby Brady-looking kids. They don't look ominous at all until at one point the switch turns and they do look ominous. Okay, so here's the first interaction. Tom gets helped onto the shore by this little, you know, eight-year-old kid. And Tom tries to go make small talk with the kid in English, but the kid wants nothing to do with him. He just stares at him, and Tom's like, what are you using for bait, young man? And the kid says nothing. And then Tom tries to look into his little fishing pail, and the kid slams it down and just glares at him. So it's the first sign that perhaps they are not welcome out here on Almanzora. But the other kids have actually been very helpful, you know, helping the pregnant wife out of the boat, grabbing their supplies, making sure they're ushered towards the village. <laughs> That's, I mean, kids are helpful by nature. That's what they do. Sure. <laughs> we forgot the Dolce Vito stuff from the hotel at the mainland. We skipped over that. Do you want to bring that up? So um, back when they were on the mainland in the hotel, when they spent the first night there, uh, the husband says, oh, um, 
do you remember this, the, the atrocities of war that they had seen on the news? Do you, he compares it to Fellini's La Dolce Vita. And the wife is like, haven't seen it. And so he explains the plot to her about an, a happy husband who has a normal life, who ends up killing his two children to save them from the atrocities of the future that is to come. And she, you know, is quite taken aback. And she's like, you know, would you kill our children? And he's like, no, you know, that's insanity. You know, who would kill a child? Stare at camera. <laughs> yeah, that's, it is funny how they can bring up who can kill a child as many times as possible, because that's the plot, the, the name of the movie. <laughs> you know, with the, the film footage on, on the television and then, you know, talking about La Dolce Vita. They, they want to make sure that we want... We want to kill children by the end of the film. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say, as killing children goes, there's some great moments in this movie. If you've ever wanted to see a five-year-old get a machine gun to the face, this is your movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm tipping off where we're going later. Okay. So so they're uh, on shore, and these kids have kind of led them into the village. And so Tom and uh, – what is her name? I always forget her name. Evie. Evelyn. Okay. Evelyn. Yeah. yeah, he calls her Evie, but yeah. Evie. Yeah, so Tom and Evie are in this town square, and they notice nobody is here. All the stores are empty, the bar, the hotel, and they're like, weird, what's going on? So that's the first sign, again, that things are perhaps not what they appear here on the island. Oh, yeah. If you go to a town and there's nobody there, and they check out the ice cream wagon, and it's all melted, and this is your clear sign that it's time to leave. <laughs> Four more hours in the boat, back to the mainland, where you call the cops. You, you know, I'm, I'm white, but I'm not let's check out that noise white. <laughs> That's a great line. I love that. There are, there are too many red flags, and the two of them just happily continue on exploring people's you know, houses and buildings. There's, they come to a, um, a, an abandoned restaurant, and there's rotisserie chickens that are completely blackened. Yeah, Evie's response is, these chickens have been cooking for hours. Hours? How about, like, weeks? Should be maggoty. <laughs> yes. And, to you know, to drive home how stupid these characters are, Tom will later say, oh, there's no adults on the island. I guess they all went to the festival on the other side of the island, which I guess, I'm assuming, never happened ever. No, like, no adult ever just leaves the children. Just like that. Just like, oh, hey, you know, everyone in town, we're going to leave the kids to themselves. We're going to just pop over to the other side of the island or even to the mainland, you know, because festival, kids don't like festivals. Kids really hate festivals. <laughs> Let's not take them. Kids would rather stay back here and do manual labor and fish. Yes, as they do. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, Tom and Evie are walking around the village, and, and Tom notices there's always people ducking behind walls or ducking back into balconies and giggling. And he's like, what's going on here? Nobody's here on this island. There's everyone hiding. You can't figure it out. And as he is off exploring, we get the first wonderfully creepy interaction with a kid where the wife, Evie, is left back in the bar. And this little girl named Lourdes comes in and interacts with her. Yeah, she comes up and she, you know, talks about, you know, oh, baby, and she strokes his stomach and she puts her head on it. And Evie's like, you know, you'll be a good mother one day. Yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, it does lead to the obvious question. What happens when these kids grow up in 10 years? Do they have to kill each other? Oh, 
That's something that Anya and I had a conversation about my daughter. Um, she was like, you know, what's the cutting point? What's the age, you know, for when you stop being a child in this world and start being an adult? Do you no longer want to kill? You know, what is the cutting point, you know, from child to adult? No, it's a good question. Because in Children of the Corn, have you seen Children of the Corn? Yes. Yes. In that one, it's their 18th birthday and they sacrifice themselves in the altar. But will the kids in this world, you know, kill off the adult versions in their group or in the world? Like, oh, you're 18 now or like Logan's run, you're 21, time to go. That's a great question. I do not know these theological questions of Alman Thora. And then that also like adds in, so there's child, children having sex. Because mm, mm, oh. will the children want to make more children? Oh, it's not. Oh, yeah. So this leads to a lot of interesting questions that we are not going to discuss, hopefully. No, no, no. Yeah, because the movie is not called Who Can Bang a Child? No, no. But, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's possibly one of those out there, you know, an ex-hamster or something. (laughs) All right. Abort. Abort this topic. Here we go. So we're back to the wonderfully happy horror movie. And, uh, yeah. So this little girl walks into the bar where the mom, the pregnant mom, is all alone. And these kids are, it's funny, they hate Tom, and you can see it in their eyes. You'll see it all through the movie. They just do not like Tom. But they're fascinated by Evelyn because she has a baby inside her, and a baby is one of them. Yes. And so this little 12-year-old girl, Lourdes, comes down and, like, puts her head on on Evie's stomach and starts cooing and patting the stomach because she loves the baby inside. And that's the only thing Lourdes says. She never talks, and then afterwards she just leaves. And, um... Evie doesn't think anything weirdly of the interaction. Um, you know, a, a strange child has come up and stroked her belly. It happens to all pregnant women. We don't want it, but it happens. I guess in the 70s, they were a lot more comfortable with random strangers putting their head on your belly. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, the miracle of life is fascinating to children. So there is that naivete that Evie was, you know, forgiving of when Lourdes puts her head you know, on her belly to hear the baby and possibly get kicked. That that naivete is something that, you know, that's wholesome. So she wasn't going to shy away from that interaction. Okay. That's a good point. You are a Lourdes apologist. Yes. The kids aren't bad. Yeah. But anyway, that that's one of the things I want to talk about. This relationship between the evil kids on the island and Evie's baby is fascinating. And it's got a really cool payoff at the end. We will get up there. Okay. So let's uh, jump through some of the preamble here. So Tom is just walking around exploring the village. And there's a great shot of him in a grocery store, just, you know, grabbing supplies, wondering where the clerk is, not noticing there's a dead body of the, like the store clerk on the other side of the shelves. He just misses it. There are so many moments where the protagonists are completely oblivious to the obvious. Not these two. Oh. He's almost a doctor. Yes. They're they're practically, you know, Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys all rolled up into one. Okay, so... uh... So, again, we just get lots of uh, scenes here of little kids coming up and staring at them, and Tom or Evie will talk to them, and the kids will say nothing. They'll just run off or go giggle or go hide in a closet. And it's just, again, you've set the tone. You know something wrong, something bad is happening here, but there's no obvious thing that's going to set off their sights, I believe, until we get the old man. Correct. Um, So they're checking, they're walking down one of the alleyways, and an old man gets attacked by one of the children. He falls over and he starts getting beaten by one of the children. 
And Tom stops them. He's like, oh, how could you attack an elder like that? And, you know, he starts carrying the old man away. But then the children get the old man back. And Tom tells Evie, oh, yeah, they're going to go take the old man to get better. They're going to, you know, you know, mend his wounds. He's fine. He just fell over. Not, no, honey, you know, you've just really seen a man being beaten by children. You're delusional. You're pregnant. <laughs> okay, yeah, this is probably my favorite scene in the movie. So I'm going to make sure we capture this one for you guys, because I want to sell this movie to people who have never watched it. Yeah, so they see this little girl out in the street, and she's near an old man. He's the only other adult they've seen. And the little girl, without warning, takes the old man's cane and just starts beating him to death with it. And it's off camera. We see the out the output later that she just a little twelve year old girl just savages this old man, and then she giggles and runs away. It's just horrific. And then a minute later, Tom finds the the whole group of children have strung this man up upside down and are using him as a pinata in one of the most horrific things you're ever going to see in a horror movie. And instead of you know hitting the the old man pinata, they have a sigh. They have a sickle. And so they're singing, you know, the traditional piñata song of Dale, Dale, Dale. And, you know, they're raising and lowering him and they're laughing and swishing that side back and forth. And, you know, the shots are from Tom as a voyeur through a, a, a break in the gate. So he's horrified. He's, you know, trying to be quiet as he's watching the kids raise and lower and laugh and sing as they're slashing at the old man. And you really have really good shots of the, the faces of the children who are just completely jovial and you know, they're excited. They're waiting for probably candy to fall to this old man. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have the grim shots of the, the bloody face and, you know, the man being cut above them. But in actuality, those are three totally different shots um, from the commentary of the film in that director filmed Tom's reaction he filmed the kids actually hitting a pinata, and then he filmed the crew raising and lowering the actor, and you know the director was slashing at the body. Yeah, I mean, in general, this movie is very artistic in what it can pull off with nothing really happening. But yeah, this scene, it's very reminiscent of the shower scene in Psycho, because you think you're seeing more than you really are. 100% because you really don't see that much gore. It's just implied gore because Tom is shocked. Yeah, but again, that's this is the moment when Tom realizes this island is dangerous. This dead old man being used as a pinata as children slash at him with a scythe, basically cutting out his innards for their, for their amusement. It's a really nasty scene, and it's going to get worse. And also, this is where you give a little PSA for any kids listening to Staff Picks. Do not beat elderly people with a bat. There is no candy inside them. So I think we should need to point that out. Zero candy. But there might be pills. <laughs> there might be pills, but please do not eat pills. Oh, okay. All right. So Tom sees the pinata game where these little demonic kids have beaten this old man and they cut him open with their knives. And again, these kids are really fond of slashing and blade weapons. I will point that out. They love that stuff. It seems to be the, the number one export of Almanzora, bladed weapons. Oh, dear. <laughs> no fishing. So Tom goes back to Evie and he's seen this old man beaten to death and uses a pinata and he's horrified. But he won't tell her. She's like, something's wrong on this island. He's like, oh, no, this is a great place. I came here 12 years ago. They're, they're all away at some festival. He's horrified, but he's not horrified enough to leave. 
there are zero adults. You've just watched children kill a man. It's time to leave. Also, I should point out, they're at the front desk of the hotel, and someone keeps calling the front desk saying, help me, help me. No, the, the person is calling in Dutch <laughs> because they, they, don't, they can't understand the person at first, which is, you know, the, uh, an ongoing moment in the, in the whole movie. They keep speaking English to people who don't speak English. <laughs> and he keeps answering the phone in English. On this island, wouldn't somebody, you know, calling someone else on the island be speaking Spanish? <laughs> Never wants to answer the phone in Spanish. He speaks English. He's almost a linguist. He is. He is. <laughs> so, yeah, so someone's calling the front desk for help. There's another adult somewhere on the island stranded. And so Tom starts going around looking for this person who's theoretically in the hotel they're in. And this is where he goes up to room seven and there's like a dead body up there and the face has been hacked open and there's a dead wife on the bed. And this is where Tom realizes, Oh my God, all the adults on this Island are dead. The children killed them. And this is where we meet the other adult. There's one other adult in this movie. He's like a maintenance guy or something. The man they meet, um, he has a bandaged head and he's trying to stab Tom, but Evie is able to calm him. And they ask him, you know, what happened? And he tells them, last night there was a loud explosion. So everything that's happened hasn't been weeks. It's only been... Well, two nights. He said two nights ago, yeah. Yes. And, um, you know, the children came to the houses and they, they just got out of bed during the night. And they came to all the houses and they just started giggling like it was a big party. And they went from house to house slaughtering all the adults. And he talks about how his wife went to the door to check on them. What a great husband sent his wife to the door. <laughs> <laughs> and the children come up to her and kill her. And he, you know, tries to hide. And that's the reason why he's the only one who's been able to, you know, the only adult that they found so far is because, you know, like a, a wise person, he hid from scary children. <laughs> Well, again, he does utter the title of the movie here. He says, I had a gun. When the kids went crazy and started slaughtering everyone, I had a gun, but I couldn't stop them because, and then you look right at the camera, who can kill a child? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so uh, this guy's the only other adult left on the island, although he does tip them off later. This will become important to the movie. He's like, although in the middle of the island, there's some farmhouses. So there might be some people over there. And we will see that later in the movie. But for now, these are the only three adults left as children are kind of circling them in the town square. And we don't really see it yet, but they're all starting to close in on them. Well, no, not yet. The children aren't circling them just yet. Um, the man that we have found, his daughter shows up. <laughs> And she starts crying, the best crying ever, that, you know, you know, grandma is sick and aunt, aunt is hurt. Can you please come with me, daddy? You know, please come and help us. And, you know, like a good parent, you know, even though he was aware of what happened the night before, he gets up and leaves Tom and Evie. And, you know, Tom and Evie watch him walk down the road and then turn right to which we hear screaming and death. That is a great scene. That That is filmed so well. Yeah, basically the three characters in the movie, they, and we met this maintenance man, and the maintenance man kid shows up, and she gives an Oscar-worthy performance here of crying for this her dad. The best crocodile. And it leads him right to his death. Yeah, leads him right to his death. 
and the, something that to point out about this this film is everything is shot in the daytime. It's not spooky nighttime. All of the horrific acts and the the suspense is broad daylight. You know, things that should not happen sensibly in broad daylight. Yeah, the director uses a lot of shadows, just little things off in the distance, so you know something's there, but you don't see exactly what it is. He does such a great job of just setting the tension that you're in this town, and people are looking at you, but you don't know what they are yet. Yes. You know, it, it's not like jump scares, because you peripherally, like you said earlier, you'll peripherally see, you know, the, the fleeting running, or you know, like a curtain move, but it's not right in your face. It's, it's building. Yeah, and then, again, the use of sound in this movie, how it's just dead quiet because nothing's going on in this island. And this maintenance guy gets slaughtered by his own daughter and all her friends around the corner. You don't see it. And you just hear him scream, and then hundreds of kids cheering and laughing. It's the creepiest sound. Because nothing scares you more than the giggling of children. That's correct. Spoken like a mother. Exactly. And a teacher. I just say there's one part here that always makes me laugh is that they're trying to figure out, is this just going on in Almanzora where the children are evil? And Tom turns on a radio for like five seconds and he hears radio channels and he's like, oh, every, it's fine everywhere else in the world. It just must be here. Yeah, Tom, the, the, the master linguist who is such a strong, you know, Spanish speaker. Yeah, you just flip that dial really fast. I mean, you don't even hear what they're saying. <laughs> you know, all hell could be breaking news. Okay, so here we go. We're going to have one more death before the whole last 40 minutes of this movie is an escape sequence as they try to get out of here. But we have to have one more death here, and this one is a, a fun one. This is the person that's been calling in to the front desk asking for help. She's apparently someone trapped, a Dutch tourist trapped in the post office. We see all the children surround her and kill her, and Tom, as he's exploring the city, is going to go find her dead body in the church. Yes, um, we see her at the switchboard in the post office, and she is able to escape to a church nearby, which is how Tom follows her, because the church bell dings. He sees the open window at the post mm -hmm. office, and a church bell dings, and so he goes to the church, and the children have sequestered her off, like right off into the nave of the church, and they're stripping her of her clothes and dancing around in her bloody dress. Like, oh, don't I look like a pretty adult in this lovely lady's dress? Yeah, that's, uh, this is one of the more creepy, haunting shots in the movie. This woman, this, you know, in her 20s, Dutch tourist, has been murdered by children. The little girls in the town are dancing around with her blood all over their dress. And the little boys, I should point out, six, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old boys have taken the dead woman's clothes off and are playing with her breasts and her pubic area because they're fascinated by this dead body. That is, all, that is such a creepy visual of seeing, you know, children playing with a dead woman's naked bits. Oh, yeah. Her bottom parts, mostly. They're especially fascinated by her bottom parts. You don't show stuff like that in a film, you know? <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, it's no surprise this movie was heavily censored when they moved it to America. Yeah. That's the scene I can see people would have a problem with. Although, there may be a couple later, now that I think about it. But that scene actually was edited out of a lot of versions as well. I can imagine, yes. <laughs> But yeah, if you see the uncut version, you see these little kids fascinated by a woman's uh, pubis, and it's yeah, it's, it's a it's a real nasty scene. And so, 
But again, the kids have not killed Tom yet. They're still a little scared of Tom because Tom is walking around like a tough guy. And also, this is the section of the movie where Tom is running from building to building, and he's got the worst running form ever. His legs just flop all over the place. He's the most awkward runner I've ever seen, and that's all he will do the last half of this movie. No, no, the running is after. Well, the, this is all when he's running in between the buildings. But yeah, so they get the Jeep. They try to drive to the dock to get out of here. It's like, the, screw this. We're getting off this island. But all the kids block their path. And Tom will not drive over the kids. So they go the other way or up to the farmhouse in the middle of the island. Where they meet uh, the lovely, the two grannies and four children. And the kids out there are fine, which is where a plot point is about to happen. Because if the kids in the city, there's something wrong with them. But then why are the kids out in the country okay? Yeah, this is a fun scene, yeah. The two little grannies in the, the shack give Evie some tea, and um, she doesn't understand a word they're saying to her. <laughs> and the kids outside, uh, Tom and Evie have been chased or followed by the village children who come into contact with the two little old ladies' kids that they're watching. And all the kids have to do is look at each other, and they go from happy, smiling faces to blank, dead eyes. Yeah, that's a neat scene. Okay, let me uh, let me try to be more descriptive on this one. Yeah, so there's these farmhouse in the middle of the island. There's these kids that are perfectly happy playing with their grandparents. But when from the evil kids from town come out there, they just look at the nice kids and the nice kid's faces just turn all blank. It's a really good acting job that they got out of a kid. But like, like, like the director said, kids can give you a realistic, not all kids, <laughs> but these kids gave a very realistic response to the stimuli they were given. They were, you know, told to act like, oh, you're going to change. And they did. And it really looks like something mentally has changed in them, you know, in their mind just by a look. Yeah, and we should point out in the movie, there's no explanation for why the kids turn evil, why they start, you know, becoming homicidal. Tom tries to explain it here because Tom is practically an evolutionary biologist. <laughs> where He says, maybe it's some sort of evolutionary development. Kids have evolved to see us as their enemy. But there's no explanation other than that why this is happening. In the book, though, there is an explanation of what happened that the director didn't like. In the story, a powder is spread across the island by an airplane, a yellow powder, mm -hmm. and it only affects the children. Hmm, interesting. But the director did not like that. He thought that was, you know, too fantasy, you know, a chemical changing just the children. So, you know, he, he didn't want that. He wanted it to be unexplained, ex except for the fact that the children are turning on adults. For what we have done. So was it Ritalin? Because I know Ritalin affects children differently, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Because there's uppers and lowers for Ritalin. You can either, you know, be, you know, super happy and awake and constipated, or you can be like really down and um, shitting your brains out. <laughs> You're probably wondering why I know that. I'm not going to ask, but if you'd like to, if you'd like to offer the knowledge, sure. Um, from teaching, we've had kids with Adderall and Ritalin, and there's the Adderall um, extended release. Regular Adderall um, makes kids constipated, whereas the extended release gives them diarrhea. So I could always tell a student who <laughs> was a normally off-the-wall bouncing child, 
I could tell which one they were, you know, given because they'd be like, oh, you know, stomach pains because they're constipated or, you know, Miss Swanson, I got to go potty. And it's like, oh, they've changed your pills this week. Please go. <laughs> Little fun fact here on staff picks for you listeners. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> So, oh yeah, so so in the book, there's an explanation for why the kids are murdering everybody. In the movie, there's not. They just, like the evil ones, all they have to do is look at another kid, and they could turn the kid, almost like a, if you play D&D, turning the undead, like a cleric, <laughs> I guess. Correct, yes. You, you evil glare, the, you know, a bad eye. Yeah, so these little innocent kids at the farmhouse have been turned evil. So now every little kid on this island is evil, and Tom and Evie in the farmhouse see them outside, and they're like, uh, let's get the hell out of here. I don't like this place. So they go back into town. They don't even warn them. Their five children are about to turn around and kill them. They're just like, hey, honey, time to get back in our stolen jeep and go back to the village. <laughs> yeah, thank you for the tea and for nursing my pregnant wife back to health. By the way, there's 100 murderous kids around the, the uh, village. See ya. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the, the the two nice grandmas are butchered by these kids. Although, we, again, we don't see it. Right, but, you know, it's implied. Okay, so here we go. We're in the last section of this movie. Again, it's just Tom and Evie trying to escape the island, but most of the big iconic scenes from this movie are still to come because there's some really memorable stuff at the end where they drive back into town, and Tom is dead set now. He will drive all the way to the dock. He will drive over kids if he has to because up to now – no one can kill a child. And he says, now I will start doing it. Right. And so as, as they're trying to leave the town, driving the Jeep, um, he's just going to plow right through the, the human barricade of children. And right at the last minute, Evie does the stupid wife thing, and she grabs the wheel, wrecking the Jeep. Yeah, poor Evie. Evie cannot kill a child. So if you're wondering who can kill a child in the, the plot of the title of the movie, Tom could, Evie could not. And that is her fatal flaw. 100% fatal flaw. But we're going to see how far Tom can kill children as it keeps going on. Oh, yeah. Tom's going to kill lots of children. It's going to be fun. <laughs> we should do like a Joe Bob Briggs body count thing for Tom alone. <laughs> He's like Kramer in the karate school beating up all the kids. <laughs> so here we go. Evie has crashed their Jeep. They have no way to get back to the dock. And it's nighttime now. This is the only part of the movie at night. So Tom and Evie basically have their last stand. They have to barricade themselves in this old police station. And every kid in the village is now surrounding them and pounding on the doors. And this is like you compared this to Night of the Living Dead earlier. Or Okay, there's two parts you're going to compare to Night of the Living Dead. This is one that's kind of like that. Um, so they're barricaded in the police station. And instead of grabbing like normal supplies, like there's a fan and a first aid kit, um, they grab nothing when they lock themselves up in one of the side rooms, <laughs> except for like one gun. Two humans, two adults, they grab one gun. Well, Tom's practically MacGyver. He can make anything. Correct. Yes, he has all the skills. I, I was so mistaken of his qualifications going into this. <laughs> yeah, so, so Tom, they're in a police station. Tom grabs a machine gun, and this machine gun's going to get some use. You don't think he's going to be blowing away kids, but he will. Spoilers. Well, I like I like setting the tone. I like teasing people with the fun to come. All right. So Tom and Evie lock themselves in the back room of the police station and all the kids are pounding on the door trying to get in. And at one point, the kids get a battering ram. So these kids are not messing around. They are. They're trying. They're clever children. They're trying to knock that door down really well. And in this particular shot, um, their back 
Tom and Evie's back backs are to um, a little tiny window that one of the smaller children has climbed up to. And he's pointing the gun squarely at Evie's head. And you're like, deliciously feeling like, oh, yes, evil child, please shoot the stupid woman who should have a massive sunburn. (laughs) But then Tom turns around miraculously and all you hear is bang. And so like your first initial thought is, oh, Tom didn't get there in time. Your Tom didn't fire the gun. Evie is dead. But no, we get to see shocked Evie. She's still alive. Still alive. How sad. So we turn around and you finally see that, you know, Tom did shoot that tiny little boy that was up in the window. Straight in the head. Tom has machine gunned a little six-year-old. Tiny little boy. Just shot him right in the head. Yeah. So to answer the question, who can kill a child? The answer is Tom. But the the fact that they just killed somebody on the kids' team makes all the children outside the door disperse. They give up trying to knock the door down. The the action of Tom killing a child has possibly freaked them out. Yeah, because nobody's ever fought back against them before. This is the first time any child has died during the rampage, and they basically take their ball and go home. It's not fun anymore. No, yeah, exactly. It, it freaked them out. So there's a false sense of calm now for Tom and Evie because the kids have completely left the building. So he leaves his wife there and he goes to exploring for supplies. He gets her a pillow and they lock themselves back in the room. And this is where the the twist. So it's a horrible, horrible moment. <laughs> okay. Well, let me say something. This is why I love this movie, because this is a twist you do not see coming, and it's so nasty and horrible, and I've never seen anything like this in a movie before. Okay, so take it away. What is the twist here that befalls poor Tom and Evie? She starts having massive stomach pain, pain that she's never experienced before, because she has two other kids, so she should be aware of what pregnancy is like. And then... He tries to comfort her and, and she stands up and she's, you know, begging him, you know, this is different. This pain is horrible. And, you know, you've got to take care of our children. You've got to make it out of here alive. And he's not understanding what's happening. And the, the shot, it shows us like blood is dripping down her leg. The baby inside of her is killing her from the inside. That's right. Now we're in a hardcore horror movie, my friends. The pregnant, heroic woman's baby kills her from the inside, and you see all the blood run down her thighs as she slowly, you can see the life just gets sucked out of her eyes as she realizes what's happening. It's horrible. Oh, 100% horrible. But it makes you wonder, since the eye contact is what worked earlier, was it the contact with Lourdes earlier where she was stroking the baby through the belly? That's what they say, yeah. That's what uh, Evie says. She goes, it was Lourdes. When Lourdes was kneeling down and touching my stomach, she somehow turned this kid evil inside me. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, the, the baby killing her from the inside makes me think of the um, Dawn of the Dead remake mm-hmm. where the, the pregnant woman dies and then the zombie baby rips out of her. But we don't really see zombie baby rip out of Evie, but it's just the baby has killed her from the inside, you know, just obliterated her internal organs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a scene that took balls to put in a movie. And that's why I will ever, forever love this movie. That's why I will recommend it to everybody. It's the scene where the pregnant woman dies because her baby kills her from the inside. 
So there you go. Happy, cheery movie for Horror Month here. But yeah, this stretch of movie, this 15-minute stretch where they're hidden in the chamber, the little five- or six-year-old boy crawls up behind them in the window, Tom machine guns the kid in the face, and then the kids leave, and then Evie dies when her own (laughs) fetus turns on her and kills her. Boy, that's a hardcore stretch of movie right there. It is. It's it's really grim. And like like you said, there's nothing ever like that in cinema. Yeah, American movies don't do that. So God bless Spanish horror movies. <laughs> yeah, again, so if people are wondering why I picked this movie and pulled it out of my butt that no one has ever heard of, and I was so high to put it on staff picks, this is the kind of plot right here. You have got to see this movie. You've got to know about the subplot when the pregnant woman is killed by her own fetus, just because most movies do not do that. But we still have to get Tom off the island now. Yeah, Tom has, has yet to kill more kids. Yeah, he has, still has more to come. He needs to put more notches on his machine gun. (laughs) So, yeah, the wife dies. You have no idea the wife's going to die in this movie. You think she's protected because she's pregnant. You think the kids don't want to kill her. But no, they just just have a a Trojan horse on the inside to kill her. (laughs) Perfect analogy. The baby Trojan horse. (laughs) So we've now compared this movie to The Wizard of Oz, Mr. Bean, and the uh, the Trojan War. And Gilligan's Island, too. Oh, yes. Okay. See if we can get a fifth in there, complete the uh, quintecta or whatever. Oh, we'll do our best. Okay. So there's only 10 minutes left in the movie. Tom's wife has died, and she slowly sinks to the ground saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just a sad scene. And Tom basically has to lay there with her corpse all night. He will not come out until it's daylight. And the next morning, it's basically Tom's last stand as he pulls out his machine gun, walks back into town. All the little kids are still blocking his exit to the dock. And it's really down now a matter of, once again, who can kill a child and how many. Yeah, Tom smiles when he gets to the village square. And he kind of like shrugs and like he's just calmly resigned to shoot them with the machine gun. And they again, like when he shot the child during the night, they're just shocked that he would shoot them. Like, why would you do that to us? You jerk. So they're they're attending to the hurt children, so he has a bit of a chance and he makes a dash for the dock and the boat. Yeah, okay, okay, let me let me just I don't want to skip over him blasting away all these kids because it's quite graphic. I kind of forgot about the scene where the kids are blocking his path, he's holding a gun, and you don't think he's gonna do it, and he's just like, Well, fuck it. And just basically machine guns, you see all these kids, you know, chests exploding. I'm like, Oh my god, he just machine gunned like ten kids. 15 easily because it's like 40 kids blocking his path and he easily shoots half of them and there's blood flowering their outfits and they like they crumple to the ground you know as children do (laughs) children who have been machine gun let me clarify yes not your average crumpled children (laughs) yes Okay, so here comes the final sprint to the dock. And so Tom is running in his floppy style. He cannot run like a human being at all. And the children are following him. And again, the kids he has blown away were like young kids. He wasn't even blown away like old 18-year-old teenagers. He's like 9, 10, 11-year-old kids. But now the older boys come after him. And we get the final showdown on the boat as they catch up to him. One more thing about the kids he shot in the town square. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Lord is standing there with like an infant, a little girl. So it's when he does shoot the children, he's not just shooting, you know, the, the 10 and ups. 
you know, there are, you know, little children that he, that, that the character kills. He's shooting a baby. He shot a baby because his baby killed his baby mama. Yeah, exactly. A baby just killed his wife. So tit for tat. 100%. (laughs) So who can kill a child? Tom, at least 16 times. And now there's a big fight on the boat where all the boys come and try to attack Tom as he's trying to go away in his motorboat. And I swear Tom kills about 12 more kids here, too. Yeah. And to add to Tom's inability to run, Tom also has an inability to untie a knot. (laughs) But he's practically a sailor. I know, he got to the boat with so much time, because the kids were shocked. So he got in the boat, he turned on the motor, it starts to pull away, and like, oh, darn, I'm still tethered to the dock. And he's like, wrestling with that darn knot for way too long. <laughs> you know, enough time for the kids to show up and jump on the boat with him. And so he proceeds to wail on them with the oar. and It's bloody. In a scene that would traditionally have stuntmen who know how to take a hit, mm-hmm. we're watching an adult actor hit children. Yeah, he's really hitting them, too, with something. I don't know if that's a real oar, but he's really cracking them with something. Yeah, he, he's, he's, he's bopping them good, and they're having to, you know, you know, pretend it hurts, or actually it hurts, and fall <laughs> into the water, and then, then he's stabbed with scissors. Yeah, the, the little girl stabs him. Another movie illusion. Um, us. Some golden scissors. <laughs> okay. Because you said we had to get one more film in this. That's fine. There you go. Five. Five films. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to say it. <laughs> but yeah, Tom has a big old fight on the boat with all these ch- ch- you know, juvenile stuntmen, basically. And he kills like 12 of them he, with his board. And this little girl stabs him. And then another boy a little bobby brady stabs him in the ankle with a knife and again just people getting stabbed and bladed in this movie and it's horrible but tom does have a chance to survive it looks like the kids are going to get him but a police boat drives up in the background fortuitously the police boat that's also delivering the mail because the person they got their initial boat from said that he was going to be delivering the mail the next day mm-hmm. these you know the authority adults show up and as tom is hitting these kids he's saying it's them, you know, help me, it's them, you know, the, the kids are the problem. Again, the man is screaming in English at <laughs> Spanish-speaking people. <laughs> so what do sensible adult Spanish police officers do? Shoot the hostage. Shoot the crazy Englishman. Yeah, shoot the crazy Englishman, yeah. <laughs> so this is like Night of the Living Dead, where the wrong person gets shot. Yeah, our heroes from this movie both die. Tom is gunned down by the police because they think he's attacking children. And the wife, Evie, is eaten by her own fetus. It is a horribly depressing movie. But we're not done yet. Even after the Night of the Living Dead ending, we're going to have another horrible moment here. Well, the cop gets to the, to the dock and, you know, the kids are, yay! You know, giggling, excited, happy. And the police officer's like, you know, where are the adults? And the children are like, oh, they're back in the village. And so the police officer starts to wander back to the village, and he hears the kids giggling behind him as they're unloading the police boat's weapons. So now the children are also equally armed, and one of them has a gun pointed straight at the cop. 
this is a great moment. The, the cops, the three cops are walking into the village and the kids are all giggling. And one of them just says, adios. <laughs> and the three cops turn around and they're immediately gunned down by kids with all their, their firearms. So anyway, everybody dies. All adults die. All adults die. And so it sets us up for the end of the film where the kids are talking amongst themselves about who gets to go to the mainland. Because they all want to go to the mainland, you know, where it's shiny and magical. But it's decided that only a small group will go to the mainland because they don't want to draw suspicion. And the little girl asks the boy, you know, will the children on the mainland play like we do? That's just creepy. You guys aren't playing a game. It is a game. That's the book. The name of the book was the game, right? I know. Yes, it is called the game. Because in their mind, killing adults is a game. They don't see it as horrific. They're getting rid of the enemy. Yeah, so that is literally the end of the movie. The girl says, do you think the children on the mainland will play like we do? And the boy who's going to go to the mainland and basically start murdering adults says, yes, of course. There are lots of children in the world. Lots of them. Implying that a rise of the children up against all adults in the world is going to start now on mainland Spain. And these kids will be able to turn all other kids evil just by looking at them. And it sets up a really nihilistic, nasty ending where the bad guys win and there's no hope. It's, it's nasty again. But, I mean, are the kids the bad guys? I mean, <laughs> that's an interesting, again, once again, theological question. I don't know. Again, because the whole point of the movie is that adults have set up a world where children are hurt. For, of no fault of their own so it's all these wars so it's really just the kids rising up against the system because like when i watched it as a teenager initially um it was you know screw these kids you know i, I couldn't understand why there was the the hesitancy to kill them mm -hmm. because as a kid i was like it's my survival instinct was watching this going no don't go look in that room don't stay on the island kill the children but watching it as an adult my viewpoint has changed where it's like i have a kid and like no i couldn't kill my own daughter I, i'd be the maintenance man because as an adult you want to rationalize this you want to you know talk them through it you want to find out why they're killing so you were saying you couldn't kill your daughter the bigger question is could your daughter kill you 100%. She's a serial killer in the making. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that does raise a point. It's who's the good guys, who's the bad guys in this movie. Yeah, because, you know, adults are horrible to the planet. We, you know, we are monsters. We kill each other. We starve each other. We create laws to hurt each other. And the group that pays the most are children because they are not the people voting. They are not the group that makes and controls things they're just children we don't give them the responsibility okay i mean that's a valid point it's I, I again i only saw this movie as an adult so i only see it from the one perspective i never saw it younger no no as a kid i i was 100 percent wanting to slaughter them because from a kid to a kid it's survival you know they're the problem it needs to be eliminated so I guess I was the kid on the island watching the film, whereas the adults are the problem. They need to be eliminated. 
So I just, you know, got, made myself go cross-eyes there. <laughs> well, again, I should defend myself by saying I've only seen this movie as an adult, and I'm 100% fine with him murdering all those kids, because those kids were assholes. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the two sides of my adult viewing are this. As a parent, I would be hesitant to kill a child because children are inherently good, especially how I feel towards my own. Okay. As a teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Be careful. No, no. I'm not going to name names. As a teacher, though, I have seen and had hellions in my classes. And there'll be times where the other teachers and I will be sitting around the lounge and we will say, no, we're going to kill children, but, you know, little Timmy, little Billy, little Susie are going to grow up to be serial killers. And we can spot it. We can spot which of those little hellions are not the best seeds in the in the bunch there. All right. That was a very diplomatic way of saying it. But as a teacher, I have seen horrible children who act up, who act out who hurt other children. So I can see where you want to protect the other children. So you might want to eliminate, you know, the one bad apple. You know, if, if that kid fell down a well, no one would miss him. <laughs> no. <laughs> we, wouldn't, we wouldn't televise it. <laughs> I do have to point out, right before the last scene in the movie, I forgot to mention it, right before the cop gets killed by the, by the, the kid shooting him, the cop even says... What kind of man could kill a child? So, once again, they're going to work the title of the movie in there as much as they can. Anyway, that is our coverage of Who Can Kill a Child, one of the craziest, nastiest, little, most hardcore, creepy movies I can think of, but nobody knows about it. I don't get it. I just, and I only stumbled upon it for the first time about two years ago, so it's it's new even for me, and I tend to know this stuff. So, again, I could not recommend this movie more highly to mo- to everybody. Yeah, and unlike a lot of other Spanish horror films of the last 10 years, you know, or just, you know, Spanish language horror films by like Guillermo del Toro, um, it has its own feeling to it. It is such a 70s film that you couldn't get away with nowadays, even though it has a remake. Ooh, I didn't know that. Yes. Oh, I can't think of the name. Shoot. Uh, Is it Who Can Love a Child? No, no, no. It got remade. Uh, Let me Google that real fast. Please tell me Nicolas Cage starred in it. Well, hey, (laughs) while I find the name of the film, let's talk about um, mom and dad. Because if 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 there's who can kill a child as one end of the horror, you know, spectrum, then we have the Selma Blair Nick Cage film Mom and Dad on the other end of the spectrum. (laughs) I just saw that recently. That's a crazy movie. It's fantastic. It's utter trash, but it's fantastic. <laughs> it's basically two psycho parents try to kill their kids, right? Not just two psycho parents. It's something that affects all parents. <laughs> because someone Blair's in the hospital with her sister, and her sister wants to kill her, her recently birthed child. <laughs> so it's this movie just in reverse. All the parents go crazy. That's, that's why I said it's, the, you know, it's like the bookends. You have who can kill a child on one end. And mom and dad on the other end, and then all the other evil children films are in the center. All right, that's good. That's an excellent observation. I hadn't thought of that, but that, yeah, uh, go enjoy, go watch Mom and Dad. That's a fun movie. <laughs> it is. It is. So, Who Can Kill a Child was actually remade um, 
in 2012. It's called Come Out and Play. Oh, have you seen that? No, I have not. I couldn't find it. Um, it has um, popular people like Vanessa Shaw and um, even Moss um, Backrack from Nosferatu. Okay, but no Nicolas Cage. No, no, no. Damn it. I know. Well, yeah, I, I, I vaguely remember now reading there was a remake of this movie and it was not well received and nobody, I've like read nothing about it. So it couldn't be any good. Uh, a married couple goes to Mexico. And I, I, I can easily say how it could be remade, you know, with modern people, you know, a California couple goes to an island off the coast of Mexico for some sun before the next kid comes mm-hmm. and you know, evil children who then have to go back to the mainland. It could have been executed beautifully, but I haven't seen it. So I'm sure it is lacking the, the, the sophistication that this one has in its simplicity. It's, it is sophisticated. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and again, in the seventies, you can get away with a lot more in a horror movie like this, that I could not, I could think of at least four moments in this movie that would never be allowed today. Yeah. hundred percent like Jaws. Is a PG film, you know. Jaws, the movie that ruined every kid in the seventies. Not just that; it ruined my own child because I was like, "Anya, it's, this is a PG film. Why would I show you something bad?" I saw this when I was younger than you, Pumpkin. She was four. She will <laughs> never forget Alex Kittner. Okay, she will never go back to the water. <laughs> Once again, who can kill a child? Jaws can kill a child. <laughs> What's funny is if you if you listen to my Wicker Man podcast with my daughter, she complained about the same thing that I showed her Jaws when she was like six. <laughs> <laughs> so you and I have a lot in common. Well, again, our our long history together: Grand Theft Auto, Vice City, The Rabbit Game. Oh wow, she's really pulling something obscure out of her butt here. <laughs> you would let little Nikki. Oh, I'm sorry, Nicholas. Um, <laughs> you would let him watch you during certain parts of the game and you, you, you were just hopping over things like hopping over, you know, you know, walls and stuff and you wouldn't let him see the bad stuff. Yeah. My, my son was like three or four and he loved watching dad play video games. And my favorite was Grand Theft Auto Vice City, to which my wife correctly pointed out, this is not appropriate for a four-year-old. And I said, oh, when he's watching, I just run around and jump over cars. So I called it the bunny game. That's what my son knew it as. Same time period that Anya was for. Um, I really liked Resident Evil 4. It was fresh. Mm-hmm. And so she would occasionally get my RE4, you know, and play it when I wasn't looking. So that opening mission, she would run around the village, lure all the Spanish villagers to the barn and climb up in the top and then wail on them and just giggle and giggle and laugh. And then she would hop down and collect all the herbs and, you know, the guns and stuff. And then she'd run around the village, lure all the villagers back to the barn with her again and just giggle and giggle and laugh. And so in, you know, in theory, my own child could be one of those children on Alamatora. <laughs> Very well could be. And again, one of the perks of being a horror movie fan and having young children around the house. Yep. <laughs> well, again, is there anything else you want to say about this movie before we sign off? I, I had a really fun time talking about this and finally meeting you, the person who can still reel off my MySpace columns I wrote 15 years ago. <laughs> the funny thing about our interaction is that I'm not a Survivor fan. Mm-hmm. 
So that whole aspect of your life is just like, ah, oh, survivor, like. And I was like, no, 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 thank you. No, thank you. Island people, no. <laughs> well, what's funny is I'm not really known as a survivor fan either anymore. I haven't been for a long time. So I think we have a lot in common now. You will always be the survivor person to me and like baseball, always talks about baseball. And oh, the time traveling critic. Oh, those are one of my, some of my favorite things in yield past. Okay, I'll tip people off. This is a, a comedy thing I used to do on MySpace back in the day. I had, a, I had a movie critic called the 1890s movie guy. And he's kind of based on, if you ever saw Conan O'Brien play an old-timey baseball player, kind of that kind. So he'd travel back in time for, from his time period into modern times to view modern films from an 1890s oil baron lens. And it was the weirdest thing I ever wrote, but it was very funny. It's the best stuff. You should bring it back. <laughs> well, I'm trying to remember. I, he didn't like American Pie because the women didn't wear hats, if I recall. Well, that was Ghostbusters, too, because Dana Barrett was allowed to roam the streets of New York without a hat, without a chaperone, and without gloves. He was very angry that women did not wear hats. I, I'm angry as an English person that women don't wander around with more hats. Okay, we're getting off the subject. I'll, maybe I'll bring him back. Okay, but again, this is my first time meeting Lizzie. We've had a long interaction. I had a really fun time talking about this. Hopefully you had a fun time too. I knew, I knew you were a little nervous coming on here, so hopefully you, you had a good time. I had a great time. Um, hopefully I won't sound too scatterbrained. You will edit me to sound like a genius, which I appreciate in advance. <laughs> that is what I do. I edit all my guests to sound as amazing as possible. So we will see how this one turns out. Please and thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And once again, this is Horror Month on Staff Picks. My name is Mario Lanza. If you need to reach me, you can reach me at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. Until next time, I'll be out there searching for more films that deserve more love. And I'll try to find somebody interesting to come on and talk about them. I'll talk to you guys later. Watch out for the kids. Bye. Bye.